Good morning. You're going to see that I have my phone out this morning. And it's not to make sure that I stay within the, the standard 15-minute Presbyterian sermon. Um, if you've heard me preach before, you know I don't care much about that. Um, but what my phone is out for is that, uh, unfortunately, my wife isn't feeling well this morning. And so I brought our little one-year-old to church, and, and this is the first time that I put her in the nursery uh, by myself. And so, uh, so I guess it turns out that, that they told me they will call me if something needs my attention. And so that's why I'm going to have my phone out. And so if I'm in the middle of this sermon and I get a call, I'm going to need a volunteer to pinch hit. Anyone? Anyone? Jim? Yeah? Melissa? All right, you guys can uh, work that out. <laughs> that happens, yeah. Steve will go get my daughter. Okay, that, that'll work too. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O oh God. Let your spirit dwell in this place. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. In your name we pray. Amen. So some of the Psalms express fear, some express lament, anger, sometimes even anger at God. Other Psalms remember God's faithfulness and tender care for us in times of need. We conclude Lent today by looking at Psalm 118, which is focused on praise and thanksgiving. So how do we get to thanksgiving It's interesting that some people have more than their fair share of problems and heartache, but they always seem to be content and grateful. By contrast, others have relatively easy, stable lives, and yet they are always complaining. This is because I think gratitude has little to do with the circumstances of life. It has everything to do with your vision of God. If you're having trouble feeling thankful, you do not need new circumstances. The Psalms claim that you need a new vision of God, which often leads to a new vision of your life. Our text today, Psalm 118, belongs to a collection known as the Hallel Psalms, or Songs of Praise. The best-known verse of this psalm, it's, there's many well-known verses in this psalm, but one of the best-known is, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. These words were taught to the Hebrew children who had them memorized. Whenever Jewish adults were going through trial or trouble, these words would roll off their tongues. This psalm was as familiar to the Hebrew people as our hymns like, Great is thy faithfulness, or or holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. These affirmations of faith were deeply rooted inside of the Hebrew people, waiting for the day that one would come in the name of the Lord. This psalm would have been used especially during a festive season like Passover, when the people remembered the day of their salvation by God. So it is not surprising that when Jesus enters Jerusalem on the day of Passover, 
the crowd waiting for him began to, quote from the psalm, bind the festal procession with branches, as the psalm instructed. And they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They had sung this psalm for centuries, you see, but the Gospels make it clear that that now they are singing their thanksgiving for Jesus, who is the one who has come. They saw what he had done in his ministry. Perhaps the crowd included Zacchaeus, who had been forgiven his sins. Maybe blind Bartimaeus, who had been given his sight. Maybe Lazarus, who had just risen from the dead. And so many others who had been blessed by Jesus. All of them were filled with gratitude. And so this demonstrates the first and the most basic type of gratitude that the Bible expects of us. Something like responsive gratitude. This occurs when we recognize the blessings that we have received from a Savior and we respond with thanksgiving. Like the people who lined the streets during Passover, creating what we now call a Palm Sunday parade, we realize that the Savior has also blessed us. And so we come to church this morning to join the festal procession of those who give thanks. Do any of us really have to work hard to find reasons for gratitude? If you sit down this afternoon and make a list of your blessings from God, which is always a good exercise, by the way, you will be amazed at how quickly that list grows long. There are, of course, also heartaches and disappointments. There are tragedies. But there's always reasons for gratitude. You do not even have to be particularly spiritual to offer gratitude. You just have to pay attention. Things could be a lot worse for you. And things are always a lot worse for someone else. Always. But as obvious as this is... It's striking how many of us sometimes just refuse to give thanks. We choose instead to focus on what life has not given us. But that is our choice. Complaint is not natural, but neither is gratitude. What is natural is that life often gives us what we do not expect. What comes next, though, is always up to us. Complaint or gratitude. Often that is our only choice. Those who choose gratitude choose not to be a victim. They determine their own response to the volatility of life. They defy their disappointments by finding reasons to be grateful. Let us be careful, though, to remember that those who lined the streets into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday We're singing to Jesus Christ. So Christians are not giving thanks because we are luckier than others or because our blessings outweigh our disappointments. We give thanks because in life and in death, we belong to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Whenever we forget to look through this lens, our world warps. But when we do look through this Palm Sunday lens to see that Jesus has come 
for us, even when life is hard, we can choose to give praise that our Savior is not done with us yet. And so I think this leads us to an even deeper understanding of gratitude. If you stay with the Psalms and keep praying them, they will teach you how to even move beyond this responsive gratitude that I've just been talking about into something that I want to call this morning creative gratitude. Let me explain what I'm trying to say by this. So responsive gratitude chooses to find blessings in what has occurred. Creative gratitude chooses to find the blessings of God in what will occur. Creative gratitude does not wait to see what life will bring us and then challenge us to be thankful. Rather, creative gratitude is world-creating. It subverts the pain-filled world that we read about in newspapers or find in our own lives by choosing to praise the God who is not done with creation. This means that the whole world is filled with mystery and potential. In the words of G.K. Chesterton, our spiritual and psychological task is to look at things familiar until they become unfamiliar again. And so nothing is just what it seems. The creativity of God is always at work beneath the thin veneer of what we dare to call ordinary. And we proclaim that God is not done. God is not done with your children. God is not done with your job. God is not done with your health, with your future, or with our strife-torn world. And so we do not take the present too seriously because we know it will not last. And the real challenge is to be grateful for that as well. We have to remember that these Hallel Psalms, these Psalms of praise and gratitude, were sung at Passover. This celebration when the Hebrews remembered that God freed them from slavery. They were in Egypt. They were carried through the Red Sea by God. In the Exodus, God miraculously changed the way it was. God overthrew the most powerful nation in the world in order to create hope for those who by all familiar appearances had no hope. And so the Psalms do not just teach us to find reasons for gratitude while we are stuck in slavery. They do not just tell us to be grateful because things could always be worse. They do not want us to be contented slaves to our addictions to hurt and pain. No, the Psalms call us to envision another way of life, and that is creative gratitude. But there's a cost to being grateful for our hope in what is to come. It means that we have to give up the deal that we have made with how it is in the present tense. We have to risk discomfort and confusion and a hard road to the future. This is why the Hebrews kept actually missing Egypt while they were on their journey through the hard desert wilderness on their way to the promised land. They would rather at many times, at many moments, have just gone back 
to being grateful slaves. But God does not settle so easily. God calls us onto the creative road that often will risk more hardship. We all know this is a challenge. When students find a dream of a vocation or they want to become an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer, a business person or maybe even a minister, they find themselves enveloped in years of hard work to complete the necessary degrees. For a long time, they have no money. They live in crummy apartments. They often stay up all night preparing for exams and papers. It is not easy but they continue because they are so grateful for the dreams that they have. Similarly, parents keep working hard to adjust to their child's stage of life, only to discover that that child has moved on already. And again, they are feeling incompetent. And that is often painful. And it does not matter how long we have been married, our spouse is always changing. That means that in some ways we are always even encountering a stranger. We have to figure out the drama of being married to this person who keeps changing. All of this comes with both joy and hardship. In a wonderful book entitled 1,000 Gifts, Anne Voskamp writes, To be awakened to joy is also to be awakened to pain. Joy and pain... They are but two arteries of the one heart that pumps through all those who do not numb themselves to really living. To be fully alive, then, is to refuse to numb ourselves with busyness, with addictions, with despair. It requires that we keep embracing the blessings of life, responsively responsively being grateful for the blessings of yesterday, And today, but also creatively being grateful for our hope for tomorrow. And there is no way to get to tomorrow without the pain of losing the past. Voskamp continues, Every step I take forward in my life is a loss of something in my life. And so I live the waiting And so every step, then, is a step away from a blessing, but toward the next one. And so, as I have said, I think, in a sermon before, we hold our blessings only in open hands. The old blessings are often taken out of them, but only so new ones can be placed in them. And having learned to trust that, We start with gratitude. Then our eyes are opened to see that God always has something more to unveil for us. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, according to Matthew and Mark, he quoted Psalm 118 himself as he said, The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was subversive language. He was prophesying that in spite of the crucifixion later that week, it was yet the beginning of something new that God was building. According to John's Gospel, when the Pharisees witnessed the Palm Sunday arrival, 
They said to each other, See, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. That's about the only true thing that the Pharisees ever said. They could do nothing to keep things the way they were. Not after a Savior had arrived. And so the world will keep turning toward the hope of tomorrow. This is our Palm Sunday proclamation to the world. When it seems like violence or starvation or injustice and heartache is the norm, we declare our faith by insisting on creative gratitude because we trust that God is not done. That makes us then so grateful that we find our courage to work for justice and righteousness in our own corner of the world. When our own lives are painful, because we had everything just right for a while, but the present did not last, and the world turned us toward tomorrow, we have to remember that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But the Palm Sunday proclamation for us is that this Savior will never stay still. To be then His disciple means to follow Jesus as He rides further down the road where more salvation is waiting. Amen.